Okay, this is part two of our little talk on marijuana. It's a nice summer day, and I want to have the brethren, the other pastors of the circuit, over for a barbecue and a beverage, you know, just to chill for a change, shoot the breeze, tell a few jokes, discuss medieval history, and talk shop in a relaxed, fun way. Next door, a couple doors down, I have a Jamaican family living. Good neighbors, super friendly people. They frequently have people over and bonfires into the wee hours of the night. They also sit around and eat and drink and they also light up a joint or two. The aroma is obvious in the neighborhood. Now the thought crossed my mind as I'm sitting with my brethren on my deck Hey, can we be doing that? You know, lighting it up, just like the neighbors? I can just imagine P.W. has his collection of Oli jokes, and R.B. sharing antidotes from the days of Luther, and T.H., who's an artist, drawing cartoon sketches of all of us, P.G. wanting to play some sports game in the big backyard, none of us, too athletic, save maybe CS. HB would shoot from the hip as he always does, but we wouldn't take him seriously and just laugh it off. And HS, well, he's the professor type and wound a little tight, so, I, so a little weed to loosen the mood would be kind of fun just to see how the brethren would, re, would react. Could we? As called servants of the word, could we as Christian brothers do what the next door neighbors have been doing for the last 15 years? Now legal, could we be doing that? Smoking a joint on the deck and enjoying each other's company. 50% of the U.S. have made it legal to use medicinal marijuana and many of those states have a large Lutheran presence in them. A handful of states have made recreational marijuana legal, and our own federal government has just recently legalized its use. So what does this mean for the Christian, and what does this mean for the church? I already talked about medicinal marijuana use, but what is recreational marijuana use? Recreational marijuana use covers a vast number of motivations and circumstances. We use the adjective recreational. We most often think of physical activity. City organized sports programs are often called recreational or rec league. We love to take our boats or jet skis on the water in summertime and do recreational boating, quite possibly towing a water ski or tubers. Recreational marijuana conjures up different images though. Fairly or unfairly, people associate recreational marijuana use with a sedated state and lack of motivation to do anything. When people smoke marijuana, it is most commonly not in order to participate in physical activity, normally connected to the word recreational. So let's just get that straight.
Images of sedated pleasure are consistent with historical characteristics of what people now call recreational use. Isn't it funny how words change their meaning? Three categories stick out in recreational marijuana use, music, art, and for general relaxing. Marijuana has carved out a niche in the music scene, both for artists and listeners. I'm often a better musician when I'm stoned, more tuned in to the structure of a piece I'm playing. Being stoned also gives me access to a kind of thinking that is creative and imaginative. Many of the same things can be said for artists and those who want to appreciate art. For them, marijuana serves as a way to heighten their senses or lock into untapped inspiration. They become able to express or see a whole new world while high. Many times people use marijuana simply to sit and relax, drawing comparisons to having a beer or a glass of wine after work. TV shows become funnier, stressful thoughts float away, and relaxation reaches a deeper and more satisfying level. Who uses marijuana in a recreational way? Well, roughly, according to survey, roughly half of adults say they have ever tried marijuana. About one in 10, and it's a little more than that, about 12%, say they have used marijuana in the past year. And high school seniors, 33%, had used it in the past year. Colorado made it legal about five years ago. 16% of them had used marijuana recreationally in 2014. Of those who use it recreationally in Colorado, 23% do so nearly every day. The most frequent users account for the vast majority, about 67%, of the demand in Colorado. The marijuana debate has been known to devolve into sensationalism and oversimplifications. Naturally, a breakdown in worthwhile discussion occurs and both sides can be blamed. Opponents of recreational marijuana have been guilty of overstating their case. More vicious, more deadly even than those soul-destroying drugs, opium, morphine, and heroin is the menace of marijuana. Well, that's simply not true. A common objection is that marijuana serves as a gateway drug. They claim that using marijuana becomes a gateway to using harder drugs like cocaine or heroin. That has not been scientifically proven either yet. The jury's still out on that because we just don't have enough long-term studies on the drug. People also confidently assert that marijuana will cause lung cancer or respiratory problems, much like tobacco does. That is a possible danger, but the most recent studies suggest tobacco still serves as a way bigger threat. Finally, fierce opponents sometimes resort to character attacks. They lump all recreational users as dysfunctional stoners and potheads who lack any motivation to be productive members of society. That simply is not true. On the other side of the debate, 
Proponents of recreational marijuana can overstate their case as well. Recent movie com comedies completely make light of recreational use. Consider the highly successful Harold and Kumar franchise or 2008's Pineapple Express. To be sure, they are clearly fictional, but these movies still portray heavy recreational marijuana use as something lighthearted and innocent. Highs are not only enjoyable for those under the influence, they serve as viewing entertainment for others. Staunch opponents offer the fact that no one has ever died. Staunch proponents offer the fact that no one has ever died from a lethal dose, overdose of cannabis. The statement is valid, but it is also true that, strictly speaking, there is no such thing as a lethal dose of tobacco. To the extent that tobacco causes death, it does so through cumulative effects. Just because something is not lethal in small doses does not mean it is always harmless. Proponents also place a high emphasis on personal experience and anecdotal evidence. Part of that is due to the small body of research, particularly long-term research. But I also think postmodernism has a big role to play in that as well. Personal experiences and anecdotal evidence hit home because those are key parts of postmodernism spirit. Personal experiences trump in today's culture, and other people's experiences follow closely behind. Can Christians recreationally use cannabis in good conscience? Keep an objective perspective. It's good to use our human reason and understand how society wrestles with this issue. This is good for us to talk about. For some, recreational use is a fundamental right for an individual. Many argue that law enforcement and the penal system are wasting huge amounts of taxpayer money by pursuing relatively harmless marijuana offenses when that money could be spent on more dangerous situations. People also frame the debate within tobacco versus marijuana. Proponents for recreational use argue that if a proven cancerous substance like tobacco is legal, marijuana should be too because scientists have not yet found a clear connection between marijuana and cancer. Scientists do not have a very large body of study regarding long-term use. The alcohol versus marijuana debate. Alcohol and marijuana have similarities in that they both affect brain functions, inhibiting judgment and motor skills. Those in favor of recreational marijuana use sometimes draw a sharp distinction between being drunk and being stoned. Alcohol turns some drinkers into barroom brawlers, domestic abusers, and maniacs behind the wheel. The latter half of the statement certainly carries truth, but note the qualifying word, some. I don't think we should be arguing from the extremes. Extreme instances of alcohol use versus marijuana's routinely happier and more stoic influence. It's not a fair debate. Opponents build a case against recreational marijuana using the same principles of attack, using uncommon events to try to support their point. 
Opponents point to two cases in the Denver area where marijuana seems to have played a major role in tragic situations. A college student from Wyoming left to his, leapt to his death from a hotel balcony in Denver. He had traveled to the city and ingested marijuana edibles, which seemed to have caused a severe case of psychosis and hostile behavior before leading to his suicide. Attention is also turned to a murder case in Denver where a husband killed his wife during a very erratic episode in April 2014. The man tested negative for alcohol and prescription drugs, but did test positive for THC. Again, these two tragic cases lie outside the norm of recreational use, but people easily spin them to their side of the argument. Both sides of the issue will be able to use sound human logic to support their own personal views, whether for or against recreational marijuana. As members of the earthly kingdom, this world, Christians find interest in these topics and their reasoning, but their main concern lies in the spiritual implications of recreational marijuana use, and that we need to look at. The church looks at many of the same issues, but does so with a different view. What does the Bible say? How does God's word guide us on this issue? Well, we talk about the law of God being our guide. So what does it say? Well, there's the fourth commandment, honor your father and your mother, that it go may, may go well with you and you may live long on the earth. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not despise or anger our parents and other authorities, but honor them, serve and obey them and love and cherish them. Other authorities, that's the government. And Romans 13 serves as the primary guide concerning the government. So Christians obey the government because in doing so, they are obeying God who gave them the government. For there is no authority except that which God has established. And God wants Christians to peacefully put themselves under the government as their representative, not to stand against it or in opposition to it. So, although the government has legalized recreational use of marijuana, they have also slapped lots of regulations on it, which the Christians should be very aware of. It can't affect your work. That's a conflict there. The possibility of losing a job to pursue a fleeting pleasure, is it really worth it? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 to 17 says, Do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. So Christians do not participate in something simply because they are free to do so, especially when that freedom rests on shaky political ground. The current government's pot policy is still in the process. Not everything is clear. So you better take that into account. Still lots of questions and concerns. But what about the fifth commandment? You shall not kill. That commandment's all about the sanctity of life and how we should help and support ourselves and our neighbors in every physical need. Is marijuana use good for the body? 
While we praise God because we are fearfully and wonderfully made, and we thank God for the gift of body and life, which are supposed to be promoted and protected, yes, marijuana appears to be less harmful than alcohol use and perhaps less addictive. On the other hand, some studies show that alcohol is water-soluble and the body can quickly get rid of it. THC acts differently. It is not water-soluble. This chemical compound latches onto cell receptors and needs to be cleaned out by the body-produced enzymes. This process can take a while and is lengthened every time THC is administered. The more THC, the more cognitive function is adversely affected. Science does not have a firm grasp on how marijuana works compared to alcohol or tobacco, but it, it does have enough evidence to raise some serious questions. But it is very clear that marijuana affects cognitive performance and mental capacity. It decreases blood flow to the brain and it does have risk, some risk of dependency. It is certainly not completely harmless to the body. And until science knows more about marijuana's effect on God's gift of body and life, Christians should be very cautious in light of the fifth commandment and the sanctity of life that it promotes. Another big question we have to talk about is, can it cause offense? The word marijuana is loaded with baggage. It became a symbol of rejection of traditional values and principles. Sexual promiscuity, lack of incentive toward work-related goals, preoccupation with self, and societal protest were all linked to its use. I mean, these are known facts. And the generation that lived through those rebellious hippie years is still around today. So there is baggage, and we can't forget about that. Well, 1 Corinthians 8 can help us deal with the whole idea of causing offense. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The situation in Corinth involved idol meat, meat offered to idols. Some knew the objective fact that God had declared all foods clean, which included idol meat. Some also knew from personal experience that idol meat did not harm. So Christians can see and know the objective facts, and some may also claim personal knowledge and experience that marijuana can be quite harmless. That personal knowledge and experience carries a lot of weight with millennials, largest users of recreational marijuana in the most recent surveys, why? Because they hold to a postmodern philosophy founded on personal anecdotes. These anecdotes, this kind of knowledge, can puff up, and love plays only a minor role. So Paul says that love for your neighbor must dominate and build up. Set aside knowledge, he says, whether objective or experimental. It's not the only thing. When it gets in the way of the Christian community and another's faith, then maybe that knowledge is maybe that knowledge needs to go and be replaced with love. So 
Offense is important. Is engaging in recreational marijuana going to be offensive to a brother and sister in Christ or even someone else? What about your conscience? 1 Corinthians 8, Paul is intensely concerned for his neighbor's weaker conscience, so much so that he wouldn't eat any sort of meat for the rest of his life if it helped another's conscience and faith. See how important it is not to hurt someone's faith by our own actions? Unlike the rest of society, Christians are acutely aware of and concerned for other Christians' conscience. Love for God and love for neighbor motivates them not to wound another's faith with careless actions. So it's not a bad question to ask, how would my brother and sister react if they were right next to me as I smoked marijuana? How would they react if they knew I used marijuana? We have our community to think of before we use our freedoms. Now here's the big one. Sanctification. The Bible talks lots about sanctification. Ultimately, using recreational marijuana comes down to a question of sanctification. Can Christians use it in a way that pleases God and does not hinder them from doing gospel-motivated good works? As children of God, bought by Christ's perfect sacrifice, right? You've been bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body, 1 Corinthians 6.20. What you do with your body is very important. Christians want to show their love and thanks to God. Good works are fundamental in that thankful living, and we need to do our very best to encourage those kinds of works. Yeah, but isn't there a passage in the Bible that says something about all of God's creation being good? Wouldn't that include marijuana too? Didn't God create everything good, and doesn't the Bible say... I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. 1 Timothy 4, 1 to 5, specifically verse 4. The passage indeed says that very thing. Everything God created is good. On the surface, it sounds like a solid argument for recreational marijuana use. Marijuana is part of God's creation. Paul says all God's creation is good. Therefore, marijuana must be good and acceptable to use. And we already looked at it from a medical point of view. But let's take a look, closer look. First of all, the immediate context of 1 Timothy chapter 4 deals with marriage and food as being prohibited by deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. That's in verse 1. In his word, God clearly blesses both marriage and food. That's why we go to church to get married. That's why we also say prayers, grace, before we eat. Jesus himself blessed marriage by appearing at the one in Canaan, 
and appealing to God's words in Genesis 1:27 and chapter 2:24, Matthew 19:4 and 5, God also removed do not touch labels from certain food. When he told Peter, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. That's Acts 10, verse 15. Paul upheld that principle in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 when he said that Christians can eat all kinds of food. Well, what about marijuana? Well, nowhere in Scripture does God give a clear blessing of marijuana and its use as he repeatedly does for marriage and food. And the immediate context of 1 Timothy chapter 4 limits the discussion to those two items. I mean, God certainly created cannabis during the six days of creation. Therefore, we can assume that God declared it to be very good, Genesis 1.31. That is, absolutely perfect, along with every other part of creation. We also know that sin has corrupted all of creation, both humans and even the ground where plants come from. Thorns and thistles, weeds that spring up plants, Genesis 3.17. If it is to be assumed that marijuana was part of creation from the beginning, then it is to be assumed that sin has corrupted marijuana in some way as well. Sinful humans certainly can find ways to abuse an imperfect plant in an imperfect world. Finally, when Christians refer to 1 Timothy 4, verse 4, they often forget what comes immediately after it. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. God commands that his created world be used and received with thankful hearts and that it be consecrated. That means to be made holy. Christians then would consecrate marijuana with prayer, but most recreational use comes nowhere close to doing that. It is clear from the context of 1 Timothy 4, 1 to 5, that Paul mostly has in mind marriage and food, not a substance like marijuana or even alcohol. That section does not give its blessing to marijuana use or how to use it in a sanctified way. The bottom line is that most people do not use, seem to use recreational marijuana in a sanctified prayerful manner that sets it apart as a way to thankfully give glory to God. The Bible talks a lot about our sinful condition and that we cannot know God and his will for our lives. Sin has distorted our vision and left the world broken. Through Christ and his work, however, we are Awaken to the realities that God is love and loves his children. Guided by the Holy Spirit, we may know him, that's 2 Corinthians 4, 6, yet may only see his glory as though looking through a glass dimly, 1 Corinthians 13, 12. As his redeemed children, we are now to journey into knowing him 
without obstacles to know him as he reveals himself in our lives by his word to us. To this end, then, we should limit our use of psychoactive substances to those which align with this goal of seeing things clearly. Take coffee, for instance, another organic substance with psychoactive properties. Ingesting caffeine serves to awaken the senses, to remove the cobwebs, and to help the user awaken to that which lies before him. Could the same be said for alcohol? We know that wine has its own God-given role. At the final consummating celebration, according to Mark chapter 14, verse 23 to 25, if alcohol can be used in such a way, might there likewise be a moderate and proper use of cannabis that could clarify and make clearer, deeper realities? Well, rather than making things clearer, marijuana tends to distort and dull the senses instead of allowing one to experience true realities more clearly. Realities are altered generally with the use of marijuana. Attention to things can be stunted, making it harder to focus. Ask almost anyone who has used marijuana regularly and they will speak of the disconnect they experience from the realities of life, as well as the numbness that comes also. The fact that our culture associates marijuana use with a couch, snacks, and television is no mere coincidence, nor is smoking cannabis and engaged parenting often, if ever, used in the same sentence. It would be more fair to say that people smoke marijuana to be less responsible and clear, not more. While the Bible does not forbid the use of every substance that affects the mind, recreational use of marijuana does appear then to violate the Christian value of sobriety in many cases. Just take a look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 6 to 8. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. It's interesting with the use of marijuana, why can't you drive? Why can't you work while you're using? Because you're not going to be self-controlled and alert. Titus 2, verse 2. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Psychoactive? drug. 1 Peter 4, 7, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Interesting. 
What does the good Dr. Martin Luther say on the subject of alcohol? I thought I'd throw that in here. It is possible to tolerate a little elevation, he says. When a man takes a drink or two too much after working hard and when he is feeling low, this must be called a frolic. But to sit day and night pouring it in and pouring it out again is piggish. All food is a matter of freedom, even a modest drink for one's pleasure. If you do not wish to conduct yourself this way, if you are going to go beyond this and be a born pig and guzzle beer and wine, then if this cannot be stopped by the rulers, you must know that you cannot be saved. For God will not admit such piggish drinkers into the kingdom of heaven. And he quotes Galatians 5, 19 to 21. If you are tired and downhearted, take a drink but this does not mean being a pig and doing nothing but gorging and swilling. You should be moderate and sober. This means that we should not be drunken, though we may be exhilarated. Hmm. Yes, alcohol is a various, alcoholism is a very serious addiction, as many addictions, and it needs treatment. And so, too, the use of marijuana to get drunk or intoxicated or high is concerning. In Galatians 5, 16 to 26, Paul writes an even more moving section on sanctified living in response to the unconditional gospel. Paul's plea to Christians is, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Verse 16. In the following verses, he lists what the evil works of the sinful nature look like and contrasts those with the good works that the Spirit produces in Christians. When Christians examine these verses, they see principles that guide the topic of recreational marijuana use. The list of the works of flesh starting at Galatians 5.19 has no direct reference to marijuana use. Is marijuana use therefore declared acceptable by silence? I don't think so. Paul lists familiar sins like sexual immorality, debauchery, which is sensual pleasure, partying, hatred, self am selfish ambition, and drunkenness. But he does not specifically mention marijuana. Closer examination of the Greek words used in the list, however, show hints of recreational drug use. Debauchery. We almost never use that term anymore, but it means overindulge in sensual pleasures. Pharmakia is among those words listed as works of the flesh. In the list, idolatry and witchcraft, pharmakia. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions. From this word, 
Modern English has derived its word pharmacy and other derivatives. Pharmakia did not always enjoy the positive connotation it has in the English language today. It originally meant simply to administer drugs in an innocent way, but over the course of time in ancient Greece, it became associated more and more with witchcraft, sorcery, or superstition. And that is how the word is properly translated in the biblical context. In the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, it is used of the Egyptian sorcerers and charmers who competed with Moses when Pharaoh would not let Israel go. That's in Exodus 7 and 8. And this magic and witchcraft and sorcery is one of the sins for which Isaiah foretells the destruction of Babylon by the wrath of God. In fact, pharmakia even seems to have a sort of voodoo feel to it, whereby magic was practiced along with mixes laced with drugs in order to harm people, spells and potions. It is no wonder, therefore, why Paul included pharmakia among sinful works of the flesh. Is that how people use recreational marijuana today, though? Not that I'm aware of. Yet, parallels can be found between the practice of ancient Greek pharmakia and recreational marijuana use today. But look at the more basic translation of the word, meaning drug use. Just the simple meaning of the word, drug use. In New Testament times, pharmakia, in fact, denotes the use of drugs with occult properties for a variety of purposes. Something should be said about seeking God or God's will or God's truth in revelations, visions, or experiences, or through means other than his word. God is always warning us about divination. The point to be noted here is that the practice of superstition frequently did involve the use of drugs. The Scythians used marijuana in their heathen ritual of the dead. They smoked marijuana in order to get high and honor the dead in that altered state. They were using it not for med medical purposes, but as a way to pursue practices of false religions. Anthropologists might call that something like ritual religious marijuana use, as opposed to recreational. But compare that with the theme of self-exploration in modern recreational marijuana use. Listen to this quote. Acutely altered does not necessarily mean chronically impaired. There are times when an altered state is useful, when drug experiences can be life-affirming or life-changing. Some drugs help provide a glimpse of the macro, a larger map of where things stand, uh, where one is heading. Good ideas can come from stepping outside the box and seeing the bigger picture. Psycho-spiritual exploration, soul-searching, communing with the self, 
These are normal and important components of the human experience. Just as the Scythians sought a marijuana-induced altered state that led them further away from God's comfort, in the same way, much of recreational marijuana today leads people away from God through altered states. People often use marijuana to affirm life apart from the true God, not with the true God. The classic example is Rastafarianism. It's a religious practice that attempts to use marijuana as a key instrument to get in touch with God. Rastafarianism employs language that sounds Trinitarian, but it clearly is not. It comes from Jamaica, nor does Rastafarianism center itself in Christ's sacrificial work. Still, one does not need to practice it in order to use marijuana as false worship. For recreational users, marijuana often becomes an avenue of self-exploration and elevates the potential found within self. Such motivation is a far cry from conducting oneself by the Spirit, as found in Galatians 5. Living by the Holy Spirit does not mean getting in touch with one's own sinful inner spirit. Using marijuana as a way to get in touch with and listen to self sounds more like self-idolatry. It sets oneself above God. It would listen to an inner spirit rather than the words of a living God. Our self-talk or inner monologue can get us into a place where we don't want to go. Just ask someone who is depressed. They'll tell you. What we need is clear and truthful teaching from the Word of God about who we are, how much He loves us, and what He has and continues to do for us. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Many users probably would not see their pattern of use in such spiritual terms, of course, but dissect what they say more closely, and it is really what they do. Marijuana becomes a way to relax after work. Okay, that's fine. Pry a little bit more, and it is evident that marijuana is not really just one way of many to relax. It often becomes the main way. It becomes the form of meditation and supplants the Word of God through which the Holy Spirit brings spiritual rest and empowers sanctified living. The same can be said of alcohol use for sure. It can become the go-to fix for a troubled and exhausted mind. We're supposed to meditate on the Word of God. We're supposed to go to God for relaxation and teaching and the truth in daily devotion and prayer, not for some, not to some substitute. 
What is more, Paul calls the works of the flesh obvious in Galatians 5.19. They're not hard to spot. So you run down the list of words in verse 19.21, and you do not have to think hard of examples for each of those words. At the end of it all, Paul broadens the list and declares that those who keep on doing the same sorts of things will not receive heaven. In other words, he's talking about habitual action. See? Similar to drunkenness or debauchery or idolatry. Those are habitual sins. We keep on running after other gods in the form of substances that make us feel better or help us to escape from reality. Recreational marijuana use is to get high and intoxicated. Where is the moderation in that? It's hard. And most recreational marijuana's users are hardcore regular users. And that can be a bit concerning. So, can Christians use recreational marijuana in good conscience? Well, when Christians examine the way marijuana has been used in the past and continues to be used today, the answer to the question is probably not. Christians probably cannot use recreational marijuana in good conscience. The Bible does not explicitly call it a sin, so we don't want to do that. Recreational use does not look like a good way to live a thankful, sanctified Christian life, especially if it is habitual. Is there such a thing as moderate use? It's a good question. Is addiction a real risk? Another good question. Will this use offend others, especially other Christians? Is such use sanctified with prayer, or does it resemble other sins that God hates? When people use marijuana, are they worshiping self, or are they truly doing it to the glory of God? Hmm. I mean, those are just some of the many questions Christians must ask themselves in regard to recreational marijuana use. The issue is not like a one-hurdle race, whereby a Christian just needs to clear one lonely hurdle and then sprint to the end, saying, well, if I just do it legally, I'm in the clear. Each of the previous questions is its own hurdle. Before crossing the finish line to a clear conscience before God, Christians must clear every single one of those hurdles without stumbling, veering out of the lane, or falling down. Can Christians use recreational marijuana then in good conscience? While we should not call something a sin that the Bible does not call sin, Christians must recognize the serious and numerous spiritual implications and risks involved. It seems like a very tall task to clear all those spiritual hurdles in order to justify recreational use in good conscience. Everything in moderation. 
If only we could do that. Do everything to the glory of God. If only we could do that. I'll leave you with this word from 1 Peter chapter 4. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen.